The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Habs and Minded. Today... From Cardiff, even if Anton isn't with us because I'm watching the rugby straight on. Um, it's South Africa versus Wales, and uh, yeah, it's a close game, and, and it's uh, really, really interesting. I'm joined today with Hadi Kalakesh, a new addition to a half size on the prize. If you don't follow him yet on uh, on Twitter, make sure you, you do that. It's Hadi uh, K underscore scouting. Um, he's a great guy, and he's here to talk about prospects of course thank you for joining me thanks for, thanks for having me ah it's our pleasure and we're, we're super excited to have you join the team um looking at at your latest catching the torch which came out two days ago if i remember correctly um first and foremost i have to pick a bone with you you know like how can you mention michigan and don't mention portillo just because he's a sweet <laughs> you know that's my fault uh <laughs> mostly Mostly, got us focused on forwards and D's, so sometimes the the goalie slipped my mind. But yeah, I really like Bertolo's game. Uh, let, let, let's be really honest; well. you just think that he doesn't do anything with that lineup in front of him, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's what I think. <laughs> so, yeah, no, um, and I, I really like the fact that looking at your um, structure of the article to to speak about the different levels of NCAA competition and the conferences and, and everything for me mm-hmm. as uh, who doesn't follow NCAA more than maybe a little bit of football and come March Madness, I follow the basketball. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's great to see, get a little bit of better understanding. I understand what many people say to me in regards to, you know, the European leagues and hockey. Um, mm-hmm. we, we have some, some fantastic, interesting, uh, prospects here. And, and let's be honest, man, let's start, start with the, with the easy one. <laughs> Um, there's some guy named Farrell. Yeah, Sean Farrell. He's really Who's awesome. Who's this guy? Um, Can you tell us about him? <laughs> yeah, uh, we selected him in the uh, fourth round, 124th overall. It was a late fourth round pick. And also, he shouldn't have been there. Um, he was in my second round. I, I just really like the way he not just thinks the game, but the pace at which he plays, the way he connects plays together. Um, you don't really often see that from junior players where, you know, they're – they're connecting plays at a speed that not only is good for their level, but that you could see translate to higher levels at the pro level. Um, and especially, you know, to have that on top of a dual threat sort of scoring um, capacity and having just tremendous playmaking ability, he can, he can pass through sticks like they're not there, uh, but it can also rip the puck, um, plays a half wall really well. Um, and he, he just sort of, what I really like about him, especially on the power plays, it's the way he moves around and just, enters pockets of space at the right time and manipulates defenders. Um, right now, it's it's hard to see sort of how exactly he's going to translate his game to the pro level just because he's playing against um, Ivy League colleges with, you know, almost no drafted players in the roster. So it's really hard to sort of see him play against higher competition. But um, I could see this player, you know, 
putting up points in the NHL, the way he plays, the way he, the pace with which he plays, I, I have a, very little doubt about the prospect. Looking at, you know, he's playing for Harvard. We know Harvard. I mean, like everyone knows Harvard, even even on this side of the pond. Um, is there a, like, is it a two-year education? Is it a three-year education? Is it a fourth-year education? How far away from AHL or NHL are we with, with Sean Farrell? And, and you, we all know that dreaded fourth year where, where he can go anywhere he wants after. Yeah, so from what I understand, it seems to be a year-by-year basis based on his progress. Um, I think the Habs can really pick him up any time. So um, in, terms of, in terms of his delay to get signed, I think it's uh, either next year or the year after. Um, he'll be in a, you know he'll be a free agent pretty much and be able to sign with any team. But um, usually with later round picks, uh, teams are able to retain them and, and make something out of them, you know, for their own organization. So I'm not too worried. The one I'm really concerned about in terms of you know contracts expiring and, and not joining the teams really Jordan Harris because um, you know out of out of Northeastern he's got a lot of options. Lots of teams are looking at these NCAA programs looking for guys that are coming out. So um, Farrell would be less worried. It's, it's really Harris that I think you know. Um, right now he's this, this year's his last one in terms of being a Habs prospect. If he doesn't sign, um, Farrell still has two. So uh, I think we'll be good in that sense. Uh, and either way, he can either be picked up this year after, you know, just burning the ECHC, uh, in the, uh, the NCAA, or, uh, he can take another year to dominate even more, maybe join a program in one of the main, uh, conferences and, uh, try to make his name out there. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried about Farrell sort of joining someone else. Um, it's really rare for fourth round picks for later to, to go through that. Uh, you mentioned obviously Jordan Harris, and it's some some it's 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 been a story ever since more or less ever since he 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 acknowledged that he was a Boston Bruins fan growing up. But the way the the Montreal defense is at this moment, uh, you could almost promise him a roster spot, right? More or less, but there's also the fact that. Him looking at the way Romanov and Mete and um, Sue Norlander and, and, and Kaden Gooley, the way these prospects have been sort of struggling to find regular time in the NHL and must be asking himself, you know, am I going to go through that same treatment where in the Stanley Cup finals I get scratched um, or, you know, I, I, I don't I play less than 18 minutes a game. Like he, he must be asking himself these questions because that's the tendency with uh, D prospects uh, with the Habs is we'll often put them in situations where, they're not really facing the highest competition. They're often sheltered uh, in, in roles that benefit their strengths without really sort of putting them in a situation to explore and, and sort of grow from their weaknesses. And I think the best, for example, with Romanov, if you were to play regularly with Petrie, I think um, that would get, give Harris a bit more sort of confirmation that the Habs are going in the right direction in that sense. But just seeing the way the prospects have been treated in this organization I'm, I'm sure Harris has some doubts. It's just now it's up to the Habs to quell those doubts and make sure he understands that um, if you play well enough, you'll have a role. And I think Harris has enough qualities to snag a role. Um, I just don't know how high he can reach. For me, he's probably a top four guy, a middle pairing guy who can uh, move the puck. Um, but a top pair, is, it's a long shot. And even you know, with the amount of deep prospects that have, the Habs have, especially on the left side, it's a bit concerning. At least Harris can play the right side. So that opens up pretty much double the amount of opportunities. For you. you also mentioned, you mentioned Romanov, you mentioned Norlander, you mentioned a lot of, I mean, like Romanov is a special case as well, I think. I was one of the few that said he should have stayed in Russia for another year or two. Uh, yeah. But but um, obviously they Montreal wanted him over. 
Um, and they know the price they had to pay because they had to put in the KHL clause into that contract. So you can't really assign him to Laval either. Exactly. Yeah, so, so that's the main thing with uh, Romanov is um, he's a player that needs to play against the best. And, and you know, we see it with his, um, with his habits. He's always the first on the ice, the last off, um, puts a lot of effort and energy. What I think lacks is maturity. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but Romanov, pretty much every chance he gets, he'll throw a puck on the net. Um, even though there's some options that are there, uh, he's a very I'm, shooty guy, and that can be good in some circumstances. But I'm wondering a little bit when, when it comes to Romanov, having watched him all the time in KHL, I watched like every game he played. I might have missed two, but but uh, his role was very very different there. And then he had yeah. World Juniors, where you play against your age group, but you don't play against top, you know, 200 player or, or 400 players out or even more. It would be like 700 players in NHL, right? So, so you don't play um, outside. There's only maybe a handful from your age group, but you play the best in the world in, in, in most of the other situations. And um, it seems like Montreal wanted him to be that World Junior Championship player, not the player that Nikitin and Seska was, was grooming him to be a very defensively secure player. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's part of the maturity process because um, he wouldn't be shooting pucks on that every chance he got if, if that was addressed with him um, as, as a problem. Um, I think the Habs like their, their D-men to shoot pucks on net as part of the system. You get a lot of point shots and deflections and all that. Um, the thing with prospects like Romanov is you need to locate those foundational issues and address them in a way that not only builds confidence for the player, but also leads to tangible results. So when you, when you look at Romanov sort of manning the blue line, um, I don't see a lot of deception. I see a lot of um, intensity. I see a lot of um, urgency, but I don't see any poise or, or calmness or control. It's mostly just, you know, being there, playing his role, but that doesn't lead to top minutes in the NHL. That leads to, you know, bottom three key men sort of, sort of positions for that prospect because you're not learning to do the things that you want a, an elite play driving defenseman to do. So yeah, in a sense, you know, being groomed to be the sort of strong, big, strong D-man that, you know, hits hard and, and protects his, his net, it can have its benefits, but we've seen it with modern day NHL defensemen, you know, the more you're able to stay poised and make smart plays instead of strong plays, the more you're going to be sort of higher up in the lineup. So I think that's the main thing for Romanov is learning that, that, that sort of to toe the line between urgency and poise. We, we have three prospects out of the NCAA that I'm very interested to hear your thoughts about. And it's Stapley, Gorniak, and uh, well, Tuck, obviously. Alex Tuck, yeah. Uh, Luke Tuck, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Luke, Luke Tuck's been, um, he just got injured. Of course, he got a lower body injury. He's out for a couple months. Um, he'll probably be back for the bean pot, but uh, before then, he's probably not going to see much time. Um, before then, he had zero points in three games. Um, so I, I still really like the way he was able to sort of control the, the small area around the net, um, the way he sort of lifts, puck and, lifts pucks in tight and um, just sort of shoves off defenders to find just an inch of space to work with. And the thing with Tuck is he doesn't need much. Uh, you put the puck on his stick, you know, in front of the net, he's able to roof it. He's able to squeeze it over the pad or, or that kind of thing. So that's something I think will really translate well with Tuck. Um, so we'll see, you know, the typical issues of a prospect that age, uh, you know, defensive positioning, stick positioning, um, a bit of skating issues, but it's really not as prevalent as, as for example, with Stapley or, or Biondi. Um, those players are more, 
um, on the sense of being sort of slower, more defensive forwards. I think Stapley, um, he's someone that reminds me a lot of Jake Evans. You know, obviously they were both drafted in the seventh round uh, and um, slowly but surely got up to a point per game pace in the NHL and uh, the NCAA rather. Um, I think with Stapley, the thing is he's, I think he's 22 now. So he's nearing that age where I, I'd expect that type of production from him. Um, even though he's a seventh round pick, usually at that age, you're able to put in some pretty decent seasons if you're, if you're anything tangible. Um, I, I'd see him be a, a sort of fourth line or, or bottom six forward uh, with defensive responsibilities and that kind of thing. Um, but the other player we mentioned, Jack Borniak, um, I haven't been impressed as of yet um, to have three points in nine games for Wisconsin um, at this point of the season with the amount of experience he's had with that lineup. I really expected more, but it's also just a, a part of the fact of just, you know, being played in that bottom six as a, as a grinder, more than a, an offensive forward. Um, that should be something that, you know, tracks in the NHL. I, I think, I think NHL coaches will have that same impression of Borniak where you see him playing and you don't see that high end sort of offensive potential where he could even score like 15 or 20 goals. Um, I, I'd, I'd see Gorniak as the type of player that's really, sort of cemented in either the middle six or the bottom six, working as sort of a support player rather than a core player. But if you can get that in the fourth round, especially in a year like 2018, where there wasn't much to give, um, I'm not complaining. That's a good pick. Um, looking at um, Jason, Jason Strubel, um, eight okay. games, 13 penalty minutes, um, 13. That must be a, a fight in there, right? Yeah, he's a he's a big strong guy, but he's also been taking a lot of um, sort of avoidable penalties and corners and stuff like that. Um, just you know, pushing guys in the back of the head, you know, crossing cross checking them to the ground or um, throwing late hits, uh, boarding stuff like that. Um, I think with Struble, it isn't necessarily a, an issue of teaching him temper temperance or, or, or you know to just stay calm. Um, I think his strength is how intense he is, and, and that should be something that should be sort of explored. It's just a matter of choosing his timings because there's been moments where Northeastern did not need a penalty. He would draw one um, or get in a fight when the team's winning or, or stuff like that where you don't necessarily want your player, you know, sort of fighting or, or taking penalties in these situations. There's always a moment. Um, I think with Struble is just finding that uh, rather than toning him down, which is something that um, people have sort of, recommended in this in this case is to tone down his game and, and sort of have him sort of find his level head in situations like these i think being a bit crazy helps in the nhl uh i think i think that's something scribble could benefit from so um yeah what i do is just explore that side of him and, and and just make sure he understands that there's a moment for it that it's not something you shouldn't do but that um there's always a time to sort of choose and, and get involved in that kind of thing. you're listening to hadi kalakesh uh... It's, it's great to have you on. It's great to have you on the crew. Jacob Dobbs or Dobish, depending on in, in Dobbish, which accent yeah. you're, you're pronouncing <laughs> it. <laughs> but, but he seems to having a, a pretty decent uh, season, especially considering the other opponents in, in, in the Big Ten. Yeah, now he's up to five games in a 9-5-1 save percentage, which is awesome. It's also honestly outstanding. And I did not expect that from the player that had to wait around and a half, uh, you know, around and a half of drafts to, to get picked, you know, it was an overrater and he was drafted in the fifth round. Usually that guy won't make the NCAA and burn it from year one. That's, that's the type of production you usually expect from either a top pick as a goalie, someone like uh, Sebastian Kosha or, or, um, or Jesper Valstead. Um, but I don't think 
this is something that anyone saw coming from Dobesh, and he's just gone, he's just come on to this OSU team that doesn't have much to give. You know, they do have a couple drafted prospects, but nothing outstanding. And he's just been carrying, and he's he's honestly he's been shelled. He he just made 33 saves on 35 shots in his last game yesterday. So um, this this is a prospect I, I did not see this coming from, especially since the year before he was in the USHL with a 908 save percentage. So I was really surprised by that from the start. Um, the way he's just sort of kept in his net and tracked pucks, sort of going from low to high, and and uh, has been able to sort of get limbs on on pucks that he shouldn't. It's really been outstanding. Uh, his athleticism, something great. And um, I think that Habs spoke a lot about, you know, just basically drafting tall goalies and building them up. Um, I'm not sure how efficient that that sort of route is, but I mean, it's worked for Dobish. So uh, we'll see where he goes, uh, but it's really interesting to see him in the start of the season. I'm seeing someone completely different than I saw for a couple of games uh, with Omaha last year. Yeah, it's the same. We're talking about another tall, big goalie is, is the gnome, obviously the, the, uh, Friedrich Dishov, who's having a really good season in, in uh, Hockey Elsenskin as well. And he he's spoke to me earlier this season about taking a longer route and, and learning from basics and, and, and be sure to, to rather progress than to jump ahead too far. Um, it seems like Dobes is, is doing the same thing. Yeah, more or less. Um, I'd say, you know, with, with Tompkins just playing in the Elsenskin there, um, the league's, you know, it's not the SHL. You'd rather have this player, you know, so sort of be a full-time guy in the SHL and and um, sort of dominate. But I'd say... Well, not everyone is going to be that, Henrik Lundqvist. Yeah, exactly. That, that's the thing. And, and everyone's at their same pace. So um, with Dobesh, especially since he's 20, um, you just leave him in the SAAA and just hope, you know, he turns out. Um, the more time he spends um, as a first-string goalie, playing as many minutes as possible... Um, and just, you know, taking those shots that you see more often in the NHL, those tip shots, those, um, those high slot plays and uh, left to right, low to high, sort of all those scenarios that make him move, because that's something that happens a lot more in the NHL. Goalies um, don't have the, uh, the flexibility of just, you know, staying in their net and being a bit more poised. Sometimes you got to go and challenge, go left to right. Um, so, yeah, I think Dobes is in a, almost a perfect scenario to continue building off of this and be something great. I mean, with the start that we had seen from Montreal this season, uh, Shane Wright. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd be happy. This year is um, pretty much one of the ideal years to have a top 10 pick. Um, there's The depth this year is great, but I think the top 10 is really something special. Um, obviously, 2023 is going to be even better. I think there's, you know, for me, there's almost four elite uh, prospects, you know, ready to go. You've got Adam Fantilli, Matvey Mishkov. Uh, Connor Bedard and um, and D- Dalibor Dvorsky, uh, Slovakian. So yeah. those four guys, I think, you know, if you're going to tank a year, it's going to be 2023, but 2022 is not bad at all. Um, I'm especially curious about what happens with Joachim Kamel, uh, who's mm-hmm. been outstanding, you know. But who's injured right now. Exactly. He just got injured, so so that's a bit of an issue. But I think uh, um, that's something, I, that's someone I would look at if, if the Habs are drafting top five. But if you're drafting first overall, it's Shane Wright, no doubt about it. I, I haven't seen a player, you know, if, if Harry Kane played hockey, I think he'd look exactly like Shane Wright does. It's, it's that kind of guy who's so clinical, so just just a bit of finesse and type, but mainly a strength, sort of clinical game. Um, Are you a Tottenham Reminds fan? me a lot of John. <laughs> I'm not, actually. I'm, I'm a Barcelona fan, but I know football pretty well. Oh, yeah, well, if you speak about Harry Kane with me, you don't know football very well. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have two gotcha. centers here. I have two centers here. One which I think is, well, both I think is climbing quite hard. And, and one is Simon Nemec uh, from Nitra mm. in Slovakia. Uh, someone that I think with a good world juniors actually will stand out and, and rise through the ranks quite rapidly. Um, yeah. and, and he's one of my guys to look after. And the other one is one I actually promoted just now or, or an hour ago on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, so this is recorded Sunday, uh, Saturday and it might not be released until Sunday night. But but mm -hmm. the other one is Marco Kasper in Rogler, who, who I'm looking forward uh, to, to really look for. And every game I see him play, he rises another spot or two on the rankings. I want to see more defensive responsibility from the center like him. But offensively, mm -hmm. he's really, really good. Yeah, and, and that's something I've noticed a lot from him as well, just, you know, watching all of his games so far. Even last year when I was tracking Cider, um, he stood out to me. I, I was like, this is this is not a draft minus one year player. This is a player that's still, still, you know, offensively at the very least, you know, he's, he's mature beyond his years. I think on the defensive side, he's got things to work on. But um, to see him play in the SHL and, and still put up points uh, with the stature he has and um, the way he's come up the ranks, you know, Austria doesn't generate a lot of top end prospects, but, you know, recently it's been good with Rossi uh, with a couple more. So I'm excited to see what he does. I've, I've got him at 24th for the moment, right in the safe spot where he should be. Um, but if he keeps going like he has, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he, he jumps into the top 10. And uh, it's, it's very interesting. And I'm not going to hold you because I know you're on a break, Hadi, but uh, no worries. Uh, when you look at it from, from, from another point of view is that, a couple of years ago, Toronto brought over Lilia Gray and, and, and Sandine because Rugler was more or less unknown uh, as a development program. It was just the start of the Abbott brothers coming up. And I have a great interview with, with Cam Abbott uh, that you can find on, on this channel, actually. Um, but but it's also like, um, with, with, I think in Sweden, we've seen them develop players, but for everyone else, the fact that Sider chose to go to Rugla last year increased the visibility and the statue among other clubs around Europe and, and, and in NHL to and, and obviously mm -hmm. with Hoglander coming out from there as well. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think it's been very, very important. And I think we will see a lot of European youngsters go to Rugla uh, going forward. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, that's often what happens uh, when a program sort of churns out a good prospect or two. Uh, they'll put themselves on the map and sort of advertise their capabilities of developing prospects to the rest of the, uh, of the hockey world. So I, um, I think mainly what, what led Cider to go to Rogla instead of um, staying in Grand Rapids or, or going to another league um, is that there are things specifically that you can learn in the SHL um, that strengthen your game when those are your specific lackings. Um, so for example, if, if you have a prospect that um, struggles with taking right routes, um, the SHL is good for teaching that. Um, for defensemen, uh, a main thing is, is stick positioning. With larger ice, your stick pretty much needs to be in the ideal position to stop a puck because there's so much ice to work with and pass to. So, side so you, you, you have to realize, as I point out every now and then, that you know it's one of the top four leagues in the world, SHL. Yeah, you, you, you got you got to give it that. Like, um, so, yeah. so it makes sense. If you want to earn money, you go to Switzerland, though. That's the safe way. Hundred <laughs> percent for sure. But uh, th that's what I like really about Cider, and, and what I'm expecting from uh, from Image as well is he's going to have to leave the Slovakian league if um, he wants to get some 
top minutes in a top league. And I think he can do that. I've rarely seen a prospect sort of manipulate opponents as well as Nimitz does uh, and sort of man the point as well as he does. So I think playing him in the SHL um, with Rogla would be a good idea. I think I think just playing in that program and, uh, and working this game out would be great. Linda is also a good one. There's, there's really good programs in the SHL that can teach defenders a lot. So I think that might be a really smart move for Nimitz just to go to the SHL. Hadi, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, again, follow Hadi on Twitter. It's uh, Hadi K underscore scouting. And uh, yep. make sure to, to uh, interact with him because he's great at answering your questions as well. Thank you for, for joining Appreciate us, Hadi. No problem at all. I uh, hope you have me again. This is great. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.